0: Welcome back to The Courageous Mama and what a season we have in store for you. Today I'm going to be talking about resistance. Sound familiar? Resistance from our children against our well thought through boundaries. I'm going to share five ways that you can combat resistance in your home and these strategies can be applied to all the areas in your life your work, your neighbours, your family settings, friendship and so on. So today we'll be looking at resistance. I'm Madeline Stanameros. I'm a coach, a parent coach, an author and the host of the Courageous Mama podcast. So welcome and thank you for joining me. For those of you who are frequent flyers with me, you'll notice the new intro music for season two. So a big shout out to Jazz Katassi, composer, singer, isn't that a cool name for an artist? Check her out on Spotify. We left off at the end of season one when I was launching my youngest child into school after 20 years of home educating. Now, three prime ministers and four chancellors later, I've just waved our third child off to Australia on a one-way ticket. Can't blame him right now. However, it's not politically motivated. Adventures await him off the edge of the coast of tomorrow and I certainly envy him heading for a second summer. Parenting doesn't get any easier, it just changes shape. And so to the podcast. What's in store on the road ahead and what's in store for today? Today, I'm going to answer one of your questions, which is how do I strike the right balance of guiding my child but not controlling my child? That's been asked by a listener. A great question and certainly the holy grail of parenting. How do I trust them to make good decisions if I'm not making them for them? So I'll tackle that today. It's a great thing to tackle because it's the key to ending the chat back. So that's on the pod today but on the pod to come I'm really excited about what's ahead. I've noticed over time that many of you have enjoyed and commented on the specific insights on the podcast for you as an individual as much as the ones on parenting tools. Some of the issues that affect us as parents and individuals, not just our children, were popular. Topics that explore difficulties in relationships, that talk about grief, friendship, marriage, and character insights, from being an extrovert or an introvert, or being a pioneer or a gatherer, You've enjoyed podcasts that help you to understand yourself better. And when we understand ourselves better, we lead ourselves better. And it's when we lead ourselves well, that we lead others well. Our families, as well as any other areas of life where we lead or manage or coach, but in families, if we grow, our kids grow. So it benefits everyone. So I've listened to that encouraging feedback, and in this next season, I'll be speaking or inviting guests to speak into those areas that help us to understand ourselves. Insights, coaching tools to give us those aha moments about ourselves and our key relationships as well as our kids. My first guest is going to be a life coach who uses the Enneagram as a tool for understanding ourselves. Have you heard of the Enneagram? If you haven't, I feel quite sure you will do soon. It's got to be one of the fastest growing tools to help people understand themselves and others, both in the coaching arena or just privately. I have found it's had a profound impact on me and I've invited a coach to come and chat about how it could help you too. Do you have people in your life with characteristics that bamboozle you or frustrate you or just downright irritate you? Maybe you've got a friend or a relative who feels a bit invasive, perhaps a bit in your face. Or have you got someone in your life who's just so competitive? Whatever you do, they just want to one-up you every time. Or have you got someone in your life who feels a bit judgy? Or have you got someone in your life who's a bit fearful? They're always catastrophizing everything. Or maybe you've got someone in your life who's always got a drama going on. Or maybe you identify with some of those characteristics. So I've invited Helen Calder to come and unpack it all for us and she's going to share some insights that will help you to understand the motivating factors that drive these behaviours in either you or in others. And it's just fascinating. Another guest I've got lined up is a sex therapist I know that's not a common area to speak into in a parenting podcast, or quite frankly, in any podcast. But in the holistic spirit of speaking into your life, as well as your children's, there's a lot to be gained here in the area of self-knowledge. I first met this upcoming guest, Emma Waring, back in the spring when she did a talk in Sussex. So I went with my sister and we were slightly late and surprise, surprise, the back seats were all taken. So we had to do that walk of shame all the way to the front seat. But the talk was enlightening. Statistics that will surprise you, things to encourage you, and some knowledge perhaps to use now or maybe just to store for one day when you might need it. And certainly I think it's important that we convey this information to our children who are being taught in all the wrong ways by all the wrong people. So giving us a language and an understanding that we can pass on if you've got the courage to do so. But either way, it will be fascinating for you. So listen out for my guest, Emma Waring, coming soon. She's also going to come back and talk about the issues of porn among our children and young adults. But don't worry, we'll give you a bit of a breather in between those two. So the podcast, as you can see, will be covering insights for you as an individual and insights for you as a parent. And in this coming season, I'm going to alternate those fortnightly so one podcast will be a longer session an interview or an overview of something in more depth to support and inspire you and then in between there'll be a shorter pod on parenting children or young adults or even older adults. I'm about to start a season in fact that will come on air after the Enneagram interview and I'm going to launch from that and look at the different ways that children react or respond to their limits and expectations and where that can be a really good and positive thing and where the tipping point is and it can prevent them from being their best self. Tell me, do you have a child that has any of the following characteristics? Perhaps they strive to achieve, they just have to achieve. Or have you got a child who has to debate the whole time? I bet a few of you have. Have you got a child that often dominates? Or a child that seems to judge and criticise? Or a child that just goes too far in always trying to please others, teachers, friends and so on. Or maybe you've got a child who you often find is quite melancholy and self-analytical. Maybe you've got a child who pours over general knowledge and just can't get enough of it. Or have you got a child that's a bit slothful and reluctant to expend energy? Have you got a child that's insular and quite hard to reach and you'd like to be able to reach them better? Or have you got a child who leaps from one idea to the next and the next and the next, barely taking a breath between each one? And do you ever find yourself wanting to reach those places in your child and bring some balance to those behaviours? There's some great characteristics there, but you can sometimes see how it upends them. Well, we'll be looking at how to get the best out of them and bring that balance without conflict and in a way that encourages them. And so to this week, that million dollar question. How do you get that balance right between influence and control? I love that a mum has reached out and asked this because it shows that she's well on the way to managing the control issues because she knows it's a thing. So let's hear the question in full. My 12 year old would like a later bedtime. Sometimes he gets really into playing with his Lego quite late and I feel he'd be better off reading in bed and settling down so he's not too tired for school during the week. I also struggle with the screen versus homework battle. And finally, both of my children are quite fussy with their food and it's difficult to give them a healthy, balanced diet and let them have some freedom over what they eat. I don't want to be controlling, I want the best for them, but how do I get the balance right? So what we're talking about here is resistance. It's probably one of the most exhausting areas of parenting. How do we respond to their resistance without lipping into control, hurting the relationship, and suppressing their ability to resolve problems by just handing out rules? So let's look at five ways of responding to resistance from your children. And then I'm going to apply it directly to the listener's question. So number one, don't despise resistance. Learning to deal with resistance is part of leadership skills. It's something that you'll deal with as a parent, but you can also expect if you run a business, if you manage other people or just dealing with potential conflict in any area of life, neighbours, friends, family, colleagues and so on. It's a skill that you don't hone unless you use it. That's the paradox of resistance. You need resistance to come your way in order to build the skill to respond to it healthily. Don't wish it out of your life and definitely don't wish it out of your children's lives. They will learn to deal with resistance in a healthy way if you can show them how. And one thing's for sure, they'll meet resistance in life and they'll need to have it modeled by you in their home years. So don't despise it, model how to respond to it. Number two, expect and plan. Resistance shouldn't surprise us. If you run a marathon, you expect to hit walls in the endurance process. The question is, are you prepared for it? Not just physically, but mentally. What have you put in place for that moment? Have you thought ahead? Have you got a plan for when it all feels too hard? It's the same with resistance, expect it, but have a game plan. This is the difference between reaction and response. Response has reasoning. It's the plan you've prepared. It's got an intended outcome. You'll be looking for both parties to come away feeling some satisfaction. Response comes from that frontal lobe where reasoning and logic preside. Reaction is different. It's short-sighted. It's designed to defend and exert power great in a real emergency but not helpful in daily relationship. There's a difference between controlling and being in control. Controlling is shutting down imposing more rules my way or the highway and it's not a good role model for our kids. In control is taking that breath and having a planned response to resistance. So that's expect and plan. Number three Resistance is an opportunity to build trust. It often has its roots in lack of understanding. They understand the rule, but do they feel that you understand why they're resisting it? Trust flourishes when you listen and connect. It's tempting to tell them why you've put the boundary in place, why it's good for them. But they're not interested in that. The main question that's gonna be buzzing around their head is how does this affect me? How does this limit me? If you're just stuck on transmit and you're speaking out your perspective and your wisdom, you've lost them. They're not excited about your reasoning, it will just become white noise. And in a heated moment, it will actually bounce right off them. They will learn to switch it off. If you want them to connect, to draw them in, they'll need to believe that you're invested in what's affecting them. And it's your job to connect with them not theirs to connect with you. You're leading. You're modelling. And in the words of John Maxwell, my total go-to person in this area, it's a train engines job to reverse and couple with the cars. It isn't the car's job to advance and connect with the engine. Our children need our connection not our reasons when they're resisting. They need to know that you understand how it's going to affect them, or they won't be ready to hear why you think it's such a good idea. You'll be wasting your words. And then take time to reflect on what they've said. Say, this is what I'm understanding. Have I got that right? At no point here have you given up your boundary line. You're just understanding how it makes them feel. Talk less, listen more. And don't listen with an agenda to dispel each thing they've said. Listen to understand. You'll learn. They'll feel important. They'll actually even own the boundary line. They won't feel invisible or irrelevant. They'll be building trust. Parenting can be wonderful, but it can be tough at times too. If you'd like to reduce the stress in your home, if you'd like a kinder home, kids that listen and who thrive emotionally, pop me an email and I'll share ways that I, as a coach, can help you and your family. And also, if you haven't got a copy of my book, Parenting for Life, yet, you'll find that at thecourageousmama.com. And this month, I'm offering a free 15-minute one-to-one micro coach with each copy sold. Parents often say, can you just be on my shoulder when my child dot, dot, dot? Well, now I can. I've learned that sometimes you've just got stuck on a small thing and you want a quick helping hand for a specific scenario. So here's a way that you can do that. Pop onto The Courageous Mama, Order a copy of Parenting for Life for yourself, for a friend, for a Christmas present, and I'll make a time to chat with you about that issue that's getting in the way of your connected relationship with one of your children, or all of your children. Now, back to the podcast. Number four, share what you can offer. And this is the part that takes time. Parenting Is time-consuming I know we've been shown that we can have it all we can pack it all in but actually the best parenting you'll do is probably the one where you sit and you spend time with them time that you sometimes feel you haven't got so it's the hard part much quicker to shut them down and you can you pay the bills you're in charge it's a very easy and accessible and quick win for you but in the long term you'll be the loser if you want to influence Allow time to build trust. So let's apply those four to our reader's question. We'll cover the bedtime thing, and then you can transfer that across to screens and food, etc. So starting with bedtime, my listeners 12 year old would like a later bedtime. And sometimes he gets really into playing with the Lego quite late, and his mom feels he's better off reading in bed and settling down, so he's not tired for school the next week. Fair play. All good points, but as we know, our points aren't the only point here. So, number one, we no longer despise resistance. We know that this is a child who wants to express difference of opinion. It's a bonding opportunity. Now, I'm not suggesting that she does despise it, but I'm just saying, lean into it, here's an opportunity. Number two, have a plan. So have a plan to be curious, to remind yourself that listening isn't agreeing, it's just listening and reflecting back. Number three, has he got some ideas? What does he think will work? Why does Lego feel important at that time of night? I mean, sleep is very important, but so is rest, and they're not the same. Rest is how we restore, and there's a number of ways to re-energize ourselves when the world and school and life has taken its toll and that can be reading, or walking, or being creative, playing computer games, sleeping for sure, but relaxing with friends as well, and playing Lego. So when it comes to playing Lego late at night, there's actually a case for it. It could well be the zone he goes into to reset himself in a busy world. I agree, doing it till two in the morning will be detrimental to sleep, but could there be a compromise there on a normal bedtime? Could she ask him what bedtime he was hoping for? And is that every day or just the weekend or just some weekends such as holidays or half terms? I've often found that their expectations are far less extreme than I'm imagining. It probably isn't two o'clock every morning. It's probably a once in a whileer. And then that's the opportunity to respond. What can you offer? Do you want to have a think about it? Chat to your partner. Maybe you could now share your concerns and they'll be ready to listen because they've been heard and perhaps you're worried that they'll be grumpy the next day and not getting up in time for school so could you in turn set some expectations and say well if you're in a lovely mood the next day and you're waking yourself for school in the week we can definitely talk about how often this could happen or could you say look I'll give you X amount of extra hours but not 2 a.m. in the morning Take the time to work with them and look at the problem from the same perspective together so they can see that you are on their side and you care about their outcomes. And it may turn out that you can't offer them any compromise at this stage, but talk about when that could be reviewed. Give them some hope so that they know they've been heard and understood. And it's the same with screens. How are they feeling about it? What do they think's a good time? When do they think it's a good time to be on the screen? Now it's worth saying here that your listening and sharing has to be done in a peaceful way to be effective. If you've popped your head round the corner and found them way over their screen time and their tone and volume are totally offside, that is not the time for a calm conversation. It is resistance to be sure, but you can have a plan here too. You can let them know that you'd like to make time to hear about how they feel about their screen time when you're both feeling calm. And notice I always say both because if I say when you're feeling calm, they will get right back to you saying, I am calm. (laughs) So you're just adding fuel to the fire. So own it. So when we're both feeling calm. And then they can see in time that a good conversation can be had when they are calm and that they will get heard and understood. They'll be more likely to have those conversations with you calmly. And what about the food? My listener was specifically talking about the amount of nutrient in proportion to junk. So do the listening, understand their favorite foods, even if you already know them, just listen, affirm them. Yeah, love spag bowl. Then plan with them. Maybe draw around a dinner plate, nice big circle, divide the circle according to junk, veg, fruit, carbs, sugar, in the proportions that you see appropriate, and ask them what they want to put in each section so that they understand what's needed in a meal or in a week, but they get some choices, some agency in that place. And I know it's time-consuming. Parenting is. Control isn't. It's very quick. It's effective in the short term. The short game is control, but the long game is relationship. The relationship that you're left with, the messages that they've picked up in childhood, about you and about themselves will last them a lifetime. So they're all sealed in these little moments, these little daily interactions. Relationships are the sum of their parts. So the investment is more time consuming, but much more character building and much more relationship building for life. And they're far more likely to go with the boundaries if they've been able to speak into them. Giving them airtime over the choices that they'd like to make into their own lives won't just affect their bedtime, their screens, and their diet. It sends them a message. It says, I'm interested in your opinion. It says, I trust you. It says, I'd like to see how it would work out if we tried it your way. And if it goes wrong, the important message is, I'm not disappointed with you, I'm disappointed for you. So say, for example, they ask you if on Saturday night could they stay up and play Lego till 12 p.m. and you say your piece about getting up for school in the morning and come Monday and Tuesday, they're not getting up and they're not ready for school. That's not the moment to say, I knew it, I told you it wouldn't work, I said it all along and you wanted to do this and here we are. That's your moment to say, oh, sweetheart, I so wish that could have worked it seemed like such a good idea, but I'm really, really sorry it didn't. So we're gonna have to go back to the way it was, but how about we talk about, in two months' time, whether we could give it another shot, whether we could try it again. So you're giving them a redemption story, you're giving them a moment where you're not shaming them, you're just saying, we tried it, it didn't work. You're also giving them hope for the future to see just because it didn't work last time doesn't mean that you don't believe in them. It doesn't mean that you don't think it will ever work. It just means it didn't work that time. I have a great mantra and I love it. A mistake is an event, not an identity. And it's on us as parents to show them that that went wrong on that occasion, but it doesn't mean you're wrong or you're incapable. It means we can give it another shot And I think the second time you try these things, it's even more effective because they realize that they can go wrong under your roof and it doesn't cost them. They'll see that if they fail, you are there not to gloat, but to pick them up again, to dust them off and to offer them hope for the future. You know, so many parents say that their children are fighting for independence, rejecting parental input, wanting to exercise their freedoms and stretch their wings in ways that make large statements. And those are the points in life where conflict can get more frequent and more agitated. So get there first. Give them that freedom within your boundaries so that they don't have to rebel in order to feel independent and empowered. They can feel independent and empowered with you, not against you. And that applies to all of their choices, going out, sleeping in, eating, resting, playing, chores, manners, habits, you name it. So is there an area of life where you notice your child complains? Somewhere that they're either dropping small hints or massive door banging, stomping upstairs and muttering. What are they trying to say? Where are they trying to say, I want more choice over my own life? Because that is sending you a message. It's an SOS to say, I feel controlled. So there might just be a case for seeing if there's some wiggle room to give them their power back without completely ruining your well thought through boundaries. So number one, don't despise it. Number two, expect and plan. Number three, listen and build trust. Number four, offer a compromise or let them know at what point in the future you would be prepared to compromise. And number five, take your time. It'll pay you back in the future. Send them that message that they matter, that their voice is important. You can't guarantee that they'll get their way, but you can guarantee that they will feel important in the process. And in turn, they'll learn how to respond when the road doesn't rise to meet them and the wind isn't at their back. Because they'll see that they survive resistance to hear what impact that has on your household when you try it out and I'll be back in two weeks with Helen Calder life coach Enneagram coach to shed light on the very different ways that we behave and why it'll be revealing not completely comfortable but enlightening come and join me I'll see you then